Hey guys, I'm lead pastor Noel Peepgrass, and I just wanted to welcome you to the Exeter Valley Church podcast. Our church plant started in 2021 with the goal of seeing God's kingdom extended in our hometown. If you're curious about Jesus, looking for a church family to be a part of, or feel called to join a kingdom expansion in Exeter, California, we'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. in our historic building at 218 West Pine Street. For more information, head on over to www.exetervalleychurch.com or visit our Instagram page. Thanks for listening. Excited to be here with you. Um, I had Noel was dangerously close. Call me an old guy. You know what I mean? I was tempted to tell stories from his childhood to you, but, uh, but because I'm a nice guy, and being older it helps to season us and mellow us. I won't do that today. But for 20 bucks afterwards, you can come talk to me. There you go. <laughs> All jokes aside. It's my conviction that we should give focus and priority to the things that Jesus focuses on, the things that he says and highlights as important. And this passage actually tells us that what Jesus finds important is the next generation, children and youth. He highlights this for us. And this passage is a very simple passage. It actually challenges in some ways our view of youth and kids. Maybe not yours, but certainly did mine. And so as I prepared to teach today, I had to go back and rethink some of my thoughts. Let me give you some of the context. The scripture tells us in verse 15 that after Jesus prayed for the kids, he went on his way. So he was, he was in transit somewhere, he was moving. And it's really interesting for me that in this context, in this passage, the disciples said, don't bother Jesus. <laughs> and that they were trying to protect him from the crowds, from the people. They were about the next thing. They were about maintaining structure, the plan, the purposes. It was almost like they were trying to keep Jesus on schedule here. Think about it. And it was almost like they were saying, move along, folks. We have more important things to do than to pray for your kids. More important things. And Jesus rebukes them, as you know, in the passage. You see, because interruptions were not welcomed. And frankly, in my life, interruptions are not welcomed either. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm standing in line buying some groceries. And there was a little gap between me and the person whose groceries were actually on the, on the conveyor belt. And someone stepped up and stepped right in front of me interruptions and there was a moment where my first response was lord bless you no it was not that <laughs> it was more like the the blessing from fiddler on the roof when the father was challenged as he was praying and, and they said do you pray for the czar and he goes oh i pray for the czar lord bless him and keep him far away from us I think that's sometimes the attitude that we can have. You know, interruptions are mostly unwelcomed. And I think that perhaps in ministry we say that interruptions should be avoided so we can be about the more important things of life and ministry. And that's what seems to be the context of this passage. It's interesting the disciples had a, a pattern in the history of trying to keep Jesus on track. In Luke chapter 4, I won't read it. But it's interesting that Jesus uh, was in the synagogue. He taught Sabbath day. He goes back to Peter's house. Peter's mother-in-law was sick. Jesus prays for mom. She's healed. Gets up and serves them. At sundown, when the, when the Sabbath was over, the whole village came out, and Jesus is healing everyone. It was an amazing picture of God showing up in power. 
And early in the morning, Jesus disappears and goes to pray. And the disciples are looking for him because the crowds have gathered around the house and everybody wants Jesus to touch them and heal them. And Jesus said, I'm sorry, you know. The disciples, where are you, Jesus? You should be here. We have an important gig here. We have an event. The crowds are gathered. He says, no, we have to go to another place. Got to go somewhere else. Or the time that Jesus in Luke chapter 9 was on his way to Jerusalem. And the scripture says that he, was, that he had his face set toward Jerusalem. And Orthodox Jews tended to go around Samaria because they did not want to be contaminated by these half-breeds called the Samaritans. But Jesus was in a hurry. So he, the, shortest, uh, the shortest trip between point A and point B, Galilee and Jerusalem, was right through Samaria. And it's interesting that Jesus chose to go through Samaria. But he sent some of his disciples ahead and says to the village, will you let us come? Can we buy food? Can we rest here? And they would not let Jesus and his disciples into their village. Interruptions, delays, unwelcomed. And I love uh, James and John, the sons of thunder, and they say to Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and torch these guys? Yeah, I, I feel like that interruption was unwelcomed the disciples, but it was there that Jesus did some amazing things. Let me move on with us. So the question I have for us as we start today, are we about the next thing? Are we about the urgent and the things that seem important to us in the moment? Do we guard our time? Do we execute our preferred plan? Do we commit to a lifestyle of the avoidance of interruptions? And have you noticed the kids are a source of constant interruptions? Have you noticed? We, we, no, we're, we're packed today, but there was a reason why we let the kids go out a little bit early. But kids, Jesus focuses on them. He says that they're not an interruption. What if, what if the best ministry is found in the place of interruption? What if, what if Jesus shows up in these times when, it, when I have an agenda? How many times, maybe let me ask it this way. How many times have I, perhaps and you, missed the wonderful opportunities that Jesus has provided for us because they showed up like interruptions. It wasn't in my calendar. I live by my calendar. I have a day timer that I pack with me everywhere that I go. Matter of fact, I get nervous if I can't see it. Where is it right now? You know, I'm, I'm that kind of a guy. But Jesus didn't seem to care about the interruptions. He invited those interruptions into his life, those spontaneous times, those teachable moments of life. When those teachable moments of life interrupt, Life, you know what I'm talking about? It's the bedtime when you're putting your kids down at night for those of you that have little ones and they ask a question like, why did Jesus hang the stars in the sky? And you're thinking, it's 8.30 at night, you should be asleep right now. And I don't have an idea how to answer that question right now. Those moments, those teachable moments are so incredibly important. What if, what if kids are not auxiliary to the plan of God, but rather primary? What if? This, this text, I think, gives us some ideas about this. There are three things we want to look at today. Number one, the parents' desire and the parents' motivation, number one. Number two, Jesus' surprising action. And then number three, Jesus, in one sentence, elevated the view of children and youth for all of us. Talk about those three things. Number one, let's look at the parents' desire and their motivation, which really was simply, bless our kids. Bless our kids. You're here today, and most of you, if you haven't, uh, if you have children or you have grandchildren, most of you probably, I would guess, 
would view your kids as the most valuable thing in your life. I mean, you would protect them with your life. I mean, the mama bear and papa bear thing comes over us. If our kid is crying, if one child's crying in the nursery, every, every lady's ears are tuned, but one lady will get up and run because it's your child. You can pick out your child's voice in a crowd. How, does, how do you, by the way, how do you do that? That's a super skill from heaven, I think. Superpower. But in the same way, we view our children as, as, as valuable to us. And, we're, and these parents in this, in this incredible story wanted the very best for their kids. Every one of us want our kids to go beyond us and do better than what we've done. That's our heart cry. That's our desire. And the same way, this set of parents, they got it right because they knew the very, very best place where they could go beyond their parents would be logically through Jesus. That he was the source of all blessing. Jesus was the source of joy. They didn't understand perhaps even that he was the Messiah, but they knew there was something different about him. And they wanted Jesus to lay his hands on their kids and pray for them. They got it right. They brought their kids to Jesus. What a beautiful motivation. But let me ask this question. What made these kids worthy of the blessing of Jesus? I mean, there were tons of, and hundreds and thousands of other Jewish kids running around. But what made these kids unique? That Jesus would stop his busy ministry schedule and lay his hands on them and pray for them. I did a little work in the Greek. I looked up the word children here. And I was remarkably surprised to discover that there was absolutely nothing unique about these kids. The word children, guess what? It means children. Absolutely means children. There's nothing unique or special. The only thing that I could discern that made these kids different from all the other thousands of Jewish kids at the time was that their parents brought them to Jesus. We probably could stop right there. But I still have more notes to go through, so I'm going to keep talking for a few minutes longer. But here's my point. My point is this that the parents got it right. Their motivation was to bring these kids to Jesus. And I think God wants to reframe our thoughts, our ideas about what is the value of kids and how God wants to use kids in this season of time, that these little people in our families are not overlooked by Jesus. He wants us to bring them to him, to believe God to do something amazing in their lives. The Lord bless you and keep you from every generation to your children. I can't get through that song without weeping. Now think about my grandkids. And praying that God would touch my grandkids. You know, oh God, would you use them for your glory? So we see that Jesus uh, understands the desire of these parents. But secondarily, Jesus' response was absolutely incredible. He responded in a world of, of urgency, ministry opportunities, more people to heal, more preaching to do. He simply says, let them come. Don't hinder them. Let them come. This invitation was extended to everyone, no age restrictions. It wasn't about the older or the younger being more valuable. This communicates incredible value. This invitation to let the children come was countercultural. It, it wasn't appropriate in that time, and maybe for many of us growing up, in our time as well. Kids were to be seen and not heard. And this created a distraction for Jesus. And the, the parents wanted to, to bring their kids and say, Jesus, pray for them. And the crowds were like, no. And the disciples were saying, this is not the way we do it here. No, we don't. We don't approach the master, a significant leader, with your children. That indicates that you're, you're disrespectful toward the leader. But Jesus said, stop. Let them come. And in that one comment, he communicates to us a sense of value and purpose. I... I I'm watching our time here. I, there is a, 
number of years ago, I was working in Fiji, and, it, and within the Fijian culture, uh, when you are the, the leader, even the people themselves will not approach you just casually. They'll come in, and they'll come in lower than you as a sign of respect. And children, oh my, they keep the kids away from you because they don't want to bother the tala tala or the senior leader. And it's interesting that I was preaching in Sigatoka in Fiji one time, and the place was packed several hundred people. And after the, the service, they always had a meal. So the ladies would disappear, and they would be cooking, and then about 30, 40 minutes later, the food would arrive. So I'm up on this small elevated platform, and there's two or three. They're, they're all seated on the floor because that's how they sit in Fiji. And I had, there was myself and one other person who had a chair. I'm up on the front waiting. The food is being prepared for us. People are sitting on the, on the mats on the, on the ground there waiting for the food to arrive. And this little tyke, about maybe two, maybe two and a half, escapes his mother's grip. And in a moment of distraction, this little guy comes right up, and he comes right up, and he comes right up to me and does this. Lifts his hands up. And the mother is horrified. I see her. Every eye looks toward one person. It's like, oh, my, your child just violated protocol. And this little guy came up and put his hands up like this, and I just picked him up and held him. The first thing he did was stroke my gray beard, you know, with the, and then and then stroke my arms. And then he... Uh, his mother came up, almost like crawling on her knees, like, I'm so sorry, so sorry, tell her, so sorry. I said, no, no, it's okay, it's okay. I'm missing my grandchildren, can I hold your baby? Okay, okay, she said. Now, it's interesting that suddenly I had, a, I had a flash, that this was the second sermon of the day. First one was when I preached. This was the one that I was demonstrating, because I think that God in that moment wanted to elevate the sense of the value of kids. And so I, I simply said, I'm going to hold that baby. If that, this is, everybody's watching me, and I could hear the people whispering and kind of chuckling, and looking at the baby, and about every three or four minutes, she would come up and, can I, no, it's fine, I've got this baby. And I said, fine, I'll just, I'll hold the baby. Within about, I don't know, five minutes, this child fell, sounds asleep in my arms, dead asleep. And the mother come up and tried to, no, no, it's okay. Is it okay if I hold your baby? I'm missing my grandchildren, I said again. And so I held this baby, and all the time until the food arrived, my arm fell asleep about 15 minutes into this. <laughs> Sounds asleep. I mean, I couldn't feel my arm, and I thought, I am not giving this baby up, you know. Sound asleep in my arm. Why did I do that? Because people were watching. I'll fast forward the story. Mom came, food arrived, mom came, took the baby. I felt like there was a, there was a mo moment, a teachable moment here where I was modeling the heart of God for kids. I was elevating children in the view of the people at that moment in time. Following this, the meal, the dad came, of this little baby came up to me and he says, Tala Tala, he said, would you dedicate my baby? I said, sure. I'll fast forward. Worship team came back up. We st a second service spontaneously started. We dedicated like 25 children that day. They kept bringing their kids and bringing their kids. I don't know where all these kids came from, but the kids kept coming and coming. We prayed blessing over these children. And we elevated in that moment the view of children within that culture. Scripture says, let them come. Even when it's countercultural. And then secondarily, don't hinder them. What stands in the way of our kids experiencing all that God has? Now. Right now. Don't hinder them. I think there's some, some cultural things, some ideologies and arguments that get in the way. I'm, I'm talking quickly here, but like ageism. We look at kids and we say they're too young. 
But this is what the Apostle Paul said to his son Timothy. He was probably 20 years old. Don't let anyone look down on your youth. Timothy was called to lead a church. I think about the disciples, you know, their lack of training, their lack of experience. But after the resurrection, they were doing signs and wonders, Acts chapters 3 and chapter 4. And the, and the scribes and the Pharisees looked at them and said, they're not trained. They're fishermen from Galilee, but they've been with Jesus. So lack of training, too young, lack of experience. David, you can't face Goliath. You're not a trained warrior. And yet God used him. A lack of decorum. Palm Sunday, all these children. They, they, children should be seen and not heard. They were leading the worship. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious folks said, stop them. Children should not be out of order like this. And Jesus said, if they don't worship me, the rocks will cry out. Children. We see biblical examples. I'll read through these very quickly. David was probably 15 or 16 when he faced Goliath. Think about it. How about Samuel, the little prophet? He, was, he first heard the voice of God when he was a lad. I don't know what that means, but he was young. Mary, the mother of Jesus, maybe 15 or 16 years old. I want you to think about that for just a second. The creator of the universe, Father God, trusted Mary to carry his son and then entrusted the Savior into the care of a teenager. Well, that blows my mind. If I had picked the mother for Jesus, it would have been someone about 75 years old that had a bunch of life experience. You know what I mean? That wasn't the heart of God. Or <laughs> how about John, the, the beloved disciple, the, the author of the, of the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John? It's really quite interesting that he was maybe 16 or 17 years of age when Jesus chose him to be a disciple. And how did he describe himself? Oh, in the Gospel, he says, uh, Jesus uh, spoke to the disciple that he loved, speaking of himself. How's that for a good self-image right there? I love it. Jesus moves powerfully. And God has used kids. We look at historical uh, kind of examples, and I could rattle on about this, but in Taiwan in, in the 1940s, there was a revival that, that happened in an orphanage, a children's school, a boys' school. Kids 6 to 18 were touched by the Spirit of God. You can read about it in the book called Visions Behind the Veil by H.A. Baker. Remarkable move of God that touched the globe. Or there was a, a great outpouring of God in North Battleford, Saskatchewan in 1948. It fell in a Christian school, a little tiny school meeting in an airplane hangar. And the Spirit of God came on these kids in the chapel time, and they were overwhelmed by the presence of God. People came from all over the world to see this experience. It birthed a movement called the Latter Rain Movement. But missionaries were sent out all over the world. Kids, did I say it started with kids? Interesting. Or what about the Welsh Revival? Evan Roberts, you heard about that perhaps 1904 to 1905. This great revival was birthed through repentance and sorrow. And conservative estimates say that between 200 and 250,000 people came to Christ in about two years. The papers in Wales would print the lists of the, of the new converts that week. I mean, it's a great story. Can you imagine that in the Exeter Times or whatever your local paper is, would print all the converts that got saved in Exeter Valley Church last week? I mean, the police, there was no crime. It, it just, this revival swept through. This, and there was no crime in this. I'm making, there's so much I could tell about this revival, but I'm giving you sound bites. The police, they were concerned they had nothing to do, so they formed the, the police into quartets. 
and had them travel around to wherever the revival services were happening, and the police provided the music for the revival services. And there was an economic downturn because Wales was known for their coal mining. And when all these coal miners came to Jesus and their lives were reformed, uh, they had to retrain the mules. And the papers, you can read about it, it's actually quite funny. The papers would report that there was a downturn in the production of coal because the mules did not understand the new redeemed language of the coal miners. Instead of cussing at the mules and telling them what to do, they had to, it took them several months to retrain the mules to, to respond to new godly commands. True story. Evan Roberts, by the way, at the peak of the revival, was 26 years old. God committed a move of his spirit to a guy that was in his early 20s. Just thinking about it. And then Acts chapter 2, referring to Joel chapter 2, says, I will pour out my spirit on all your sons and daughters. And it's interesting that that the apostle Peter stands up in his great sermon on the day of Pentecost and said, this is what's going on. Scripture has promised that he'll pour his spirit out on all your sons and your daughters and they'll prophesy. And, and it's happening. This is what's going on. And this is historic fact for the church. The church was birthed with power. But it wasn't just given like it had been historically to a few holy men and a few holy women in every generation that were empowered to do the work of God. He says, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Everybody, and your sons, and your daughters, your kids. I looked that up as well in the Greek. Guess what it means? Sons and daughters means sons and daughters. Everybody. There's, there is not, a, there is not a, a, like a junior version of the Holy Spirit for kids and an industrial version for adults. It simply means the outpouring of God's Spirit is available to everybody in every season and every time. And then finally, Jesus elevated the view of kids and youth. He says this, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Uh, uh, okay, this is an incredible statement. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Belongs to them. Such like, uh, okay, I had to step back and think, what in the world does that mean? It belongs to them. Why, if it belongs to them, why would I withhold it or restrict them from access to it? The kids are, okay, I'm a grandpa. Your kids are exposed to the dark side of the supernatural all the time. It's just welcome to our culture. It's everywhere we look. It's crazy. And it's becoming normative because of social media. Do we not want them to see what is good and true and godly and beautiful and right? And that's, that's their inheritance. I think that we should and should and could invite them into the kingdom of God and the kingdom inheritance that is theirs. It belongs to them the real power of God's love, his restoration, the power of God's grace that transforms lives, the stories of what God has done in previous generations that can become their story. That's what I pray for for my family. I don't want them just to hear about the good things of God. I want them to experience the good God who does good things. And that's my passionate desire. The kingdom belongs to them. Uh, there's another whole message that we could give about what is the kingdom, but three things. The king's mission was to come and destroy the works of darkness. He is the victorious Lord. The king's passion is that he is not willing that anyone should perish. And the king's purpose is that the father would be glorified and God would have a family that's forever. King's mission, the king's passion, the king's purpose. And then I'm, I'm simply going to conclude with this. What is it about children 
that attracts the blessing of God? What is it? I, Jesus said, let them come. And I'm Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 5, it says, unless you become like a little child and change and become like them, you can't enter, enter the kingdom. What is it about kids? Uh, it's probably a long list. Let me give you a couple of my favorite things about kids. Kids are dependent. May we become like little children, dependent on the Father. Kids as well are trusting. They trust. If God says it, I believe it. One of our, when we were much younger, my wife and our kids were, were small, we were uh, talking in our family at that time about uh, going into missions, as we call it. We're going to go to missions. We're going to serve in, on the mission field. And our kids were relatively young. And I remember tucking our kids in uh, as we did every night and praying with them. And our, my oldest daughter said to me, Daddy, are we going to go to the mission field? And I said, well, sweetheart, a good adult response, okay? Sweetheart, when Jesus tells us to, we will. To which she responded, but Daddy, Jesus already commanded us to go. And I felt like I just heard that. It was like an audible voice of God. And I walk out of the room, and I, I'm, I'm visibly shaken. And Becky says, are you okay? What happened in there? I said, I think I just heard the voice of God from a six-year-old. They're trusting. They're dependent, they're trusting, and they gain guidance from the Father. And they're not powerful. They don't force or manipulate. They're just very open and gentle. So praise God, unless you become like these little children. We're going to have communion now, so if the worship team wants to come and join me. This, this passage is actually quite, quite stirring, and I really only wanted to just simply suggest to you that we have an opportunity to reframe our thinking. How would God use your kids and your grandkids? How is it that perhaps God would come and do something unique? So the kids are not just a distraction or an interruption, but perhaps they're central to the thing that God's about to do. I, during worship, uh, I had this thought, I know, I know Don Bowles from a long time ago. I know this place was used historically for a season as a youth center. Wouldn't it be interesting? Wouldn't it be interesting? I, I'm not giving this as a prophetic word. I'm thinking, wouldn't it be interesting if part of the plan of God to reach the city of Exeter would be to start with the kids and the youth to touch your kids and your grandkids. Why not them and why not now? If the kingdom belongs to them, we're going to wait till they're 21 or 75, till they're old like me. I heard the voice of God for the first time uh, in the sense of I knew God had a call in my life when I was 12. I can't explain that to you. I just I knew it was the call of God in my life. I, my parents were wise enough, I guess, to simply give me the chance to explore that. They were leaders in the church, and so they allowed me to serve and to lead and to love. And I'm not 12 anymore. I'm 66. And I'm so grateful for a mom and a dad that trusted me and entrusted into a very imperfect kid, a preteen, actually, the opportunities to love and serve God. May God reform our thinking. Let them come. Don't hinder them. The kingdom belongs to them. Uh, I know I've gone over time. Thank you. Can we stand together? Then we're going to go into, into our time of receiving the Lord's from the Lord's table today. But before we do that, can I...
can I ask, can we just pause for just 30, 30 seconds? And can we do what those parents did? <laughs> they brought their children to Jesus. Now, if you're a grandparent, bring your grandkids. If you don't have children, pray for your nieces and nephews. Can we, can we collectively together just whisper out the names of your kids and grandkids, bringing them to Jesus? Lord, we do that right now. Go ahead and just whisper out their names. Lord, would you come? Would you touch our family? Lord, we touch our kids, our grandkids. Would you come in your love and your power? Would you convince them of your purposes for their lives, Lord? I pray you would arrest them, Lord, from things that would bring damage or destruction to their lives. Lord, I pray that you would show them your grace and your love and your redemptive power. Would you start with the kids, Lord? We'd be okay as parents if revival started with our kids. <laughs> We'd be okay with that. Lord, we pray for the city of Exeter. We pray that every young man and young woman would come to know you. What a big prayer. That's your heart. It's not your heart that any should perish. Miraculous God, who demonstrated his great love for us, in that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. We were not at our best by any means. And the table represents his love and his sacrifice that he made without guarantee that you or I would say yes. Lord, I pray in the same way for the youth of this generation. You poured out your life for them without guarantee that they would come to you with open hearts. But Lord, I pray that they would, like we have. So as you come to the table, just continue to bring your family to Jesus. I think maybe as we come to receive from the table, can you come to give to Jesus, your family members, your kids, your grandkids, trusting him for something new and powerful and unique. Worship team, come to the table.